Have you ever read a book and thought to yourself, I could explain this to someone else, but maybe there's a few things that I want explained back to me. I'll be sitting down with authors, thought leaders, visionaries. I'm your host, Josh Lipstone. This is Explain This Book to Me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Josh Lipstone, and today is the fourth episode in our limited series called Explain This Book to Me. I am joined by my guest, Jason Cass, who is the author of the book, Customer Services Just Foreplay, The Modern Customer Experience Will Separate You from Your Competition. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing good. Back for another episode, and I'm looking forward to it. This has been extremely fun. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, Now, we are recording this podcast on Tuesday, June 9th, 2020, for those of you keeping track at home. And today we are going to be finishing up section one of the book, which is going to be chapters six through eight. We're going to be tackling technology and automation, mobile apps and payments. So our next chapter, chapter six, is technology when your customers want it. Now, for those of you who are following along in the book, we're on page 35, so go ahead and turn there. So, Jason, let's start off by uh, talking about in the chapter, you begin, again, uh, talking about the size of your office, which is a recurring theme for the book. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, we've discussed it before, so we're not going to get into it too much, but I do want to have the loyal listeners hear from you about this. Do you think given the direction that you're taking the insurance alliance now, mm-hmm. would it be possible to do that in that 56 square foot office? Or do you need to be where you are now in a larger office? For the direction of the insurance alliance? Yes. Which is what you asked. Absolutely, I could do it. Okay. It is a conversation that Travis and I had yesterday. You, um, loyal listeners, you've heard me talk about it before. You can't see behind me like Josh can. Um, But if you've seen any of my videos, there's one, two, three. There's three desks behind me, a sitting area, and a conference table. No one of any of those will ever will come back. I'm not going to ever fill these again. So I'm even actually thinking about subleasing the place. Well, Jason, why don't you get rid of it? Because I have an SBA loan that I got three years ago when I bought this agency, or two years ago, two and a half years ago. And I um, and in that contract for two and a half years. But Travis, that's why we're having the conversation. It's Jason in a year and a half. Our, our landlords are going to come to us. Do I really what do I need all this space for? I do like being out of the house. Yeah. I will say that I like that. Um, but could I do it in 56 square feet? You're exactly right. The account that we just got on a broker of record for 349,000. Uh-huh. I bet you if I call that executive director there's a good chance, a 50-50 chance, she may not remember what town we're in. Seriously, that's that's the world we're, we're moving into. So whether I'm in a 58-square-foot office or a 1,500-square-foot office, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter to her. Okay. Interesting. That's interesting. That, what, what's the benefit of being in your basement? The huge benefit of being in your basement is it ups your game as far as the quality of the client that you get. 
How is that? Because when you're in your basement, people can't find you, you find them. Mm. And if you write good business or you like going after people who are easy to deal with, then those are the people you're going to find. We noticed that as soon as we moved out of the basement in 2014 into our first office in 2015, we immediately started writing business that wasn't necessarily the business that we had been writing in the past. And the only difference had been that we were now visible to the public rather before we weren't. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, that went in a different direction than I, I thought that it might go. <laughs> so that's fun. Um, I do have three locations, though. So I'm going to tell you it's not for everybody. Three locations. I only knew about two of them. I didn't know that you yeah. had a third location. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, now, has this new revelation come about because of everything that's happened with COVID-19 and how people are working from home? Or is it was it a conversation that was going to end up coming up at some point anyways? This is such a treat for the loyal listeners, Josh. You have no idea. You have no idea. Um, I think this is something that was going to come up. We're seeing nationwide and a lot of their big, huge skyscrapers. If I'm a guy who owns a bunch of space in the skyscraper, mm -hmm. I'm starting to get a little bit nervous. You know, I mean, I really am. Um, but here's the deal. Uh, when, when it comes to um, working at home, mm -hmm. it's going to be businesses are starting to see it. My own assistant, uh, which is a a Sarah, not at AI Sarah, Tia Sarah. I have Sarah's all around my life. Actually, the third location that I have is ran by a girl by the name of Sarah. And then AI Sarah. And then Tia Sarah. Everybody in my life is named Sarah. That's very, very vital to me. Um, so, so, when, so here's what it was amazing. This is the treat. When I was on the Neon call with the agency owners last Friday, which this is new stuff, we were talking about who's going to be going back to work and who's not. There was probably about 15 to 20 of us on here. And you have to keep in mind, like these are CIO agencies. Like these dudes are smart. I mean, they're way outside of me. And then you got dumb old people like me in there. Okay. Just, just mix your people in there. And I said, when is anybody going to be sending, is everybody sending their stuff back? And Seth Zaremba is sitting there shoving his mouth full of food because he's hungry. It's like 2.30 of the afternoon. And he stops and he goes, my people aren't going back until January 1st. And then he starts eating and, and everybody just continues on talking. And before we stop, I said, wait, wait, wait a minute, Seth, uh, what do you mean your people aren't going back January 1st? He said, neon has shown us that we can do 17.7 cases on average per day when we're in the, or when we're away from the office, but when we're in the office, we're doing 13.7 cases per day. A case is an actual, like picture that being an endorsement or something you did on somebody's policy. Huh. Um, so he started, and, and once again, those, those numbers I just made up, but he started rattling off all these numbers and he had his super users there, which are the people in his office, like data scientists. And they're like, oh yeah, da, 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 da. And he told me, he says, they're not going back. Until, until January 1st minimum. And I said to him, I said, well, what happens if in January 1st, you still see as if you're more profitable and more profitable? He goes, that's what the industry's getting ready to have to try and figure out too, Jason. Huh. And he didn't know the answer, right? But it was this, and it's not, see, that's that's what my boy Wesley Anderson always says. We don't make decisions. Developers, Josh, don't make decisions based on the way their stomach feels or the way they woke up this morning. They make it based on data. And when we can start making it based on data, now we start saying, is working at home good or is working at home bad? Is it worth it? Is it not? At the end of the day, I may not use this agency, but I think I pay 
1500 $1,400 a month or something like that for that. But at the end of the day, on the income that an agency makes, fifteen, sixteen, seventy thousand $70,000 a year is not a whole lot for me to sit here and, and try to figure that out. But for me to try to figure out the mentality of my staff and whether or not they can deal with it, that's where the stress comes in as an agency owner, not my pocketbook. Interesting. Yeah, to me, because in our agency, we've we've been here the entire time. We're family. We have separate offices. We, don't, we haven't let any clients in our doors, um, and we don't have any plans of changing that in a few months. Um, and because we don't have any non-family members, we never had to really worry about culture. But I've always thought, what is the culture of an agency or a business going to be like if you go from having an office to everyone working from home or how is the culture different? And so I've never had any experience, so I don't, I can't speak to that, but it would be interesting to see in a few years if there are studies done on large companies of, we all went to the office. Now we're all working from home. How has that culture changed? Is it for the better or for the worse? So there is a lot of tech companies that reversed it and brought people back into the office. I think it was Facebook was one of them. Oh. Uh, I can't remember the COO, her name, very, very awesome, strong um, powered woman. I can't think of her name, Sharon or something like that. She, she, she did, they did some kind of study and showed that they weren't um, being as effective. But I think that also sometimes that has to be with the collaboration. I'll end by saying this. Yeah. It goes back to the digital ecosystem we talked about a long time ago. Right. With a good digital ecosystem, that culture can thrive because you're, you're never right away from each other. You're still there just by video or whatever. You're not yeah. there by connection, but anyways. Well, good. Well, good. Well, let's move on um, to one of the next parts of the book, which is where you talk about small commercial lines automation and how it's going to be and how is the next step from personal lines automation. So back in 2015, we all believe, uh, meaning the loyal listeners and a small number of agents believe that this would come to fruition. Um, now, I believe for that select small group that they succeeded in automating the personal lines experience. But I think still a lot of people are struggling with automating the small commercial lines. Now, from my own experience, in order to do this, um, you and your agency have to be niche focused. This is just my personal opinion to be able to provide the right experience, because as loyal listeners know, the questions you ask a hairstylist for a bop are completely different from a sandwich shop owner or a residential plumbing contractor. So it's not like your auto home renters type of things. So here's what I want to ask you, Jason. Do you believe for an agency to be profitable, to create a great customer, ser ser uh, great customer experience and grow in small commercial that they have to automate or can they th stay the same way of the same business practices of five years ago or more? Or do you think that agencies need to partner with companies like Thimble Insurance or Pi Insurance, which by the way, sponsors of the podcast they don't pay us to include their names mm -hmm. to are they the way that agents could automate without having to figure it out themselves Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I hate to say it, but it's all of the above. First of all, it depends on the agency you want to be. If you believe in helping everybody, if you believe that somehow you're a, so, you're a nonprofit as well as, an, as a for-profit um, and you want to help everybody, well then, yeah, you don't need to automate it. If you're trying to make money and you're looking at your downline, you're damn right. You need to automate it as much as possible. Will you lose the customer experience? Once again, that's directed at the audience you're going to have because these people, no matter who they are, they have a problem and they they need a solution. 
Some people want their hand held in that solution. Some don't. So I think it's more knowing that industry or knowing who that it truly is. But so I think that that Thimble and Pi, I think all of those, it, it's all coming together. It really truly is. And there's going to be a lot that's still going to shake out because you still got people trying to figure it out. You have Tarmica out there, which is a sponsor of um, agency intelligence. And I love Tarmica, not because they, they pay us to put their, their ads onto our podcast. We, I love them because I said to Rags, who was the owner, I said, Rags, why are you the first person to create this small commercial, uh, you know, raider? Like we've had personal raiders forever. And he's like, Jason, like I asked that to the carriers. You know what they say? No one's really said that it was important up to now. Huh. And I'm thinking, we've been saying this is important for a long damn time, you know? And this yep. is just the disconnect that we have inside this industry. When I say disconnect, that's what's coming all together. That disconnect is leaving. You know, that disconnect, us being able to speak our mind and it be penetrated throughout the industry. I mean, how fast did Tarmica come about and then be out there? And you know the beauty of what Tarmica did? It exposed all the other commercial raiders that are already out there that no one else knew about. Mm -hmm. Old Kennedy said it right. Rising tide raises all ships. Yep. That's an example of it. Tarmica happens to be, here's what's going to happen in the small commercial raider. In the next three to five years, you are going to start to, probably in the next one to three years, you are going to start seeing raiders like Tarmica pop up everywhere. And it's going to be boom, boom, boom. There's another one called, um, I'm going to butcher their name, but it's like S-E-E-M-E-E -E -E or something like that. It's it's something like that. And David Carruthers, I was talking to him a couple of days ago about it. He did a demo. He was very impressed with it. Okay. Um, I also think that that's a conversation that needs to be brought because I think there's companies out there that are doing screen scraping. They're doing RPA. Look it up, everybody out there. Robotic process automation. It's something you're going to start hearing about. Back three, four, five years ago, when I'd ask people what APIs were, they'd be like, I have no idea. You're going to start hearing about RPA automation. It's important that you understand that because it's a conversation that's going to happen. And whether depending on what side of the fence you're on is going to delegate how you think what's right in an agency and what's not. So we won't go there. But what I'm saying is, is that Tarmica was able to say, go directly to the carrier and say, the agents need this, but also, what is it? Single entry, multiple computer interface, SIMKey, something that was said a long time ago. Look that up. We won't go into that right now. But Tarmica was able to tap into that and say, and here's the beauty of not so much am I going to give a rate. Josh is going to put the information in. We're going to send it to the carrier. That's what raters do. We're going to integrate with their rating platform, populate it, run the real credit that's being ran at that level, then bringing that back into the Raider or into your AMS or into Neon specifically with us. And, and, and what it does is it also lets us know how we interacted. How does that look to that company? What's that score on that? When we send it to our client, when did they get it? When did they open? Tarmica shares that with us, shares that with the carrier. To what we're doing is we're starting to work together, collapsing the silos and working together to create that experience so that the customer doesn't really necessarily know if they're getting it from me or from the carrier or for directly from Tarmica. I, they wouldn't get it directly from Tarmica. I'm just saying that situation. Yeah. So you're going to start to see a lot of these situations in the next one, two years. And then what happens is after we get about five or six of them, then they'll start buying each other out. And then we're going to be stuck with two. 
like we always are in this world. Apple, yep. Droid, Black, White, Applied, Vertifor, just how we all in this world. And we'll be stuck with two. So get behind them. What can you do in the meantime? Find the one that's in your area. The uh, the 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 the, um, the raiders that pop up are going to be regional. Hear me out there. They're going to be regional. That's why you're going to have multiples pop up because what's going on over in, in California, um, Arizona, Nevada, Tarmica doesn't right there, but they're dominating on the East Coast and now into the Midwest. You're going to start to see those and then they'll pop up. Find the one in your area, call your carriers and say, you need to get on this. That's how we're going to become efficient um, and write small commercial. We don't in this office, but Erie gets on our ass every day that we don't. So you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yep. Know exactly what you're talking Sorry about. Sorry I went off on that. No, Sean no, commercial, no. This is a very, very important thing. And if you want to be efficient, walk away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think someone that you've had on the podcast prior, um, she's no longer at that agency, but didn't Olivia Schmidt work at an agency where she was over small commercial and how they were focused on automating that as much as possible? Correct. Tricor. Okay. She was with Tricor. She, okay. had a, she did a fantastic job with them. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so let's go ahead and wrap up this chapter. We're going to talk about some self-service options specifically for commercial lines clients. Um, you end the chapter, this is the last sentence, by saying every customer may not use it today, but in five years they will. And what you're talking about is self-service for COIs, which to many agencies consume a large amount of time, eats into profitability. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, do your clients use this type of service? And if so, are you using either simply easier accord forms or another company to do that for you? I'm not using any companies for it. It okay. morphed for me. It morphed. It's called VAs. Gotcha. So have I written a, service, a COI or has Travis? Yes. Mm -hmm. But it was only because there was some weird, crazy language and some forms that were needed. And the VA said, hey, uh, this I'm, I'm not, I, this is, I'm not familiar with this, but 99% of them, the language is already there or we written it one time from our licensed people. And then all they're doing is pre-populating that. I would like to have online. I'm thinking that's in my brain, Josh, meaning that my customer, I come from Central Illinois, mm -hmm. which is small podunk. People don't do that stuff. Yes, they do, but less than 10% of them. Now I'm over in Edwardsville to where I am in a more upbeat urban and we are getting requests for this more through our website like hey i need a certificate of insurance have i'd say more i'm going to say five in the last year but that's five more than we got over the last decade you yep. know what i mean so it's kind of like that so we're recognizing that we use that service for vas but i will tell you i know a lot of agencies that do use these type of services um i do not know uh, once again duke williams has a great um, great service out there but I do not use any of those long, long answer. Yeah. And for those loyal listeners who are potentially struggling with the idea of, of doing that, asking uh, your clients or their certificate holder to submit it to you electronically or in some other form, um, instead of just calling you and you doing it on the phone, it's just a conversation. It's not a mm -hmm. difficult conversation to have with them just laying it out as in order to serve you better to provide quicker responses do xyz and they they'll they'll be willing to accommodate it so absolutely yeah. there's even a medium of where we enter it into the system you give them back in access and they can just print them off whenever they right. need right exactly. so there's there's multiple areas out yeah. there all right so let's move on to chapter 7 which is go mobile or get gone so now to me, this is an interesting one because I do have mixed feelings based on my own experience. 
Okay. I do agree with Steve Anderson, what he said in the book, which is mobile moments and how you need to create them for your clients. I do believe an app is going to be beneficial to my clients and that I need to provide to them. And I also use Go Insurance Agent mobile app uh, for my clients. Great sponsor of the Mastermind. If you're a Mastermind member, you get a discount when you sign up. But here's where I struggle. And maybe it's just specific to my agency. I don't have an AMS that connects to the app. So I have to position it differently than agencies that have an AMS that can connect. So for me, good point. I push it as a home inventory tool in a place that they can, you know, take a picture of their ID card, have it there. I can't tell people that you can access your policy information because my AMS just doesn't do that. Um, now we are moving to one that hopefully will, uh, but that's a long story for a different podcast on a different day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of this, I went and looked it up. My adoption rate is about 7%. So for you and your agency, do you have a larger adoption of your clients using the app? Because since you're on QQ, but again, loyal listener, he's transitioning over to Varuna. And probably by the time that you're listening to this, that will have happened. So because of that, over the last five years, do you see it being a bigger benefit to your clients because it does connect? And so how do you position the app to your clients and how do you market it to them? Josh, people are going to think that you teed this up for me because this goes right back to RPA. See, I wasn't going to talk about it, but this, 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 you just opened up the can of worms there. Yes, I did. If I want to go get commission statements, okay, uh-huh. I'm going to go get commission statements, just like we do in all of our agencies. We go to the same damn website to the same spot. Some of them email them to us, you know, but mostly got to go to the website. You got to print get them off there. Do you know that there is a, a program, many of them out there, that is very easy, very f- almost free, but mm-hmm. they're a little bit of money. Josh, you could do this today. And you start the program in your computer, and then you would go click on the website to the agency or to the web to the carrier. You would put in your user ID and password. Then the next button you click would be commission statements or let's say agency admin, then commission statements. And then you fill out the, the date you know, and then you tell the computer. Now, all this stuff is being recorded as you're doing this, not video recording. The computer is recording what's going on when you're making all of these. And then you can tell it, okay, done, right? I'm making this very simple, by the way. And then you can say done. And you can put that on a timer and say at the second of every month, go do that. And your computer will, so when it starts up, will go to that, it will follow exactly the thing. It'll go to the carrier, it'll put in your information, it'll click on a agency admin, it'll click on the, 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 uh, the, 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 the commission statements, and then it'll run the report. So like when you go to like 70 of these places, you don't have to, you know, do that. That's called scripting. And what, and, and there's a lot of different names for it. Okay. Developers are probably going at me right now. That's not exactly scripting. I'm trying to put this in the third or fourth grade, like someone did to me. Okay. So, so, so that's what that is. That's called scripting. So someone got smart and Josh, I'm going to tell you right now, your computer, your, your, your management system works with your mobile app. Interesting. It does right now because I can create a script to where it will go into your AMS, mm-hmm. run the Excel spreadsheet that's needed with the fields that's needed, mm-hmm. 
I can then have that automatically scripted to be have an email sent to insurance agent mobile app okay. where they could receive that and they have a script. I'm not saying they do, but th- th- this could happen and, and, and probably do. And they have a script that then takes that information, brings it in, and then populates your, 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 your mobile app. To the legacy systems, they say that's a no-no. Here we go. This is the discussion that needs to be had. This is the discussion that Steve Anderson and I had on the podcast last week that got released. Once again, it's 6-9 today, so it was last week. You need to listen to it. We started that conversation because the legacy systems say that's not right. Now, in that situation, okay, I get that. But what here's what the AMS is saying. For that to work, Josh, you have to give up your user ID and password. That breaks your user agreement immediately. You also, you also, by doing that, you're allowing someone to come into your system and you have no control over what they're taking. Because keep in mind, when they script, they can go in there and screen scrape. So they script to the certain part, let's say the customer file inside the AMS, and then they, t- they tell it, stop, screen scrape everything, then click on policy. When it opens up the aisle policy, screen scrape everything, and then they can do whatever they want with that information. And if there's social security numbers in there or things that are private information. So that's one of the bad sides. But what if we could get a vendor who does RPA, who does this type of stuff, and would say, okay, we're by contract. We're not going to touch the data. We're not going to do anything. I mean, that's what right. Biden and these other places do. Um, so, so there's things that have to be talked about. Scripting has many problems because as soon as you tell the, end, the, the computer how to do a certain thing through a certain path, if any of those are changed, if the website's updated or anything, it breaks the whole script. And so now the whole thing doesn't work. So if you have 150 scripts going on, you're going to be constantly fixing them all the time. These new um, uh, mobile app companies are—that's what they're doing. And this is the this is this this is the ethical dilemma that's going on. Do we allow the consumer to give consent to us to use their data to give it to them in a useful fashion? to help increase the customer experience. If I'm doing nothing but getting information from my customer's carrier, Mm -hmm. they're with now, with their consent and having it pre-populated into their app, what is wrong with that? The legacy systems would say a ton. I would turn and say to the legacy systems, I think you're thinking that because you want to scare me because you want to be the one that gives me the data when you give me the data. Bottom line, RPA goes in through your user ID and password. If you have a company that says, hey, we integrate with your management system and we need your user ID and password, they are using some form of RPA. Now, if you are part of, let's say you're doing business with agency Zoom and they are an Orange Partner Program member, they are going to need your user ID and password. But see, being part of the Orange Partner Program, Vertifor has given them permission to work with their users to be able to access API through integration. And you need the user ID and password for that. So those people out there who are doing screen scraping, who are doing scripting, will tell you that. They'll say, well, if you go to Agency Zoom, they're going to need your user ID and password because they have been vetted and they have been approved by the Orange, Orange Partner Program. Gotcha. Then there's also these vendors that are out there who what they're doing is, is they're not part of the Orange Partner Program, but they're approved by Vertifor. 
That's Vertifor's way of saying, you're doing unethical crap that we can't prove. So we're going to allow you to have access to our API because we can't discriminate and not give you that. But we can create an orange partners program that you have to be vetted to do. That's why these companies, that's why these management systems are creating these partnership programs because it allows them to control the people who came coming in and out. And I'm going to tell you, and I'll stop with this, I think right now until we prove and we solidify what scripting and screen, uh, and screen scraping is, I believe it's to your advantage to not do business with those type of people right now. That's just my personal opinion. Interesting. Wow. Sorry. Yeah. That's no, something that no. is brand new. I haven't even talked about that on the podcast. And that's good. No. I want to bring that conversation to the forefront. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, I mean, yes, I understand it violates the user agreement, but to me, it helps to keep the legacy system still relevant, that people can stay on them because they're able to access that information. So yes, Vertifor and Applied are going to want to have their own, but it, it may take a while for them and they need to be able to... Uh, all of these young guys that are in here developing, and I say young guys and gals that are in here developing programs today, they're all between the ages of 25 and 35, and most of them are using screen scraping, scripting. They're doing all of this. Why? Because the management systems or all their systems won't, our, our vendors won't let us connect with them. And so to them, they're thinking, I'm just trying to help Josh. Right. Josh needs his customer to be in populating inside the mobile app. I can make that happen. I got to do this and that, but I'm not going to let Josh know that. Here's another big key. I want to. I do not want to go in on this, but I'm trying to give you things to think about. If every other person says we can't do that because the management system doesn't allow access, and you have a company that comes along and says, "Oh, we can do that." That yep. is a big key. I say that to myself, wait a minute, no one else can do this. Why in the heck do you think you can do this? Well, Jason knows the questions to ask to get to the bottom and figure out what they're doing. And I've had people pull me aside and say, hey, man, most people don't know about that, dude. And if, if they find out, I'm not doing anything wrong. It's not illegal. It's not ethical. But if you if you start talking about this, man, it's going to put me under because, you know, I, I'm not trying to put anybody under. I just don't think that you're explaining to the agent what's right. going on. And I don't think that that's right. Okay, I'm done. One thing before we finish up this chapter, and you kind of mentioned it, and you've talked about it or hinted in prior episodes about another co company offering an app for insurance agents. So I am a little curious to know more. Is there any details or are there any details that you can share with the loyal listeners about it? Or is that a conversation for another day? It's a conversation for another day because I like these guys. Mm -hmm. I think they have huge upside. Uh, they see the value in data sharing. Yep. They also, um, I believe some of these older systems, I, I, I can't baloney anybody. Insurance agent mobile app, I believe Kiki Johnson and Matt Aaron are completely on the leading edge Definitely. of technology inside the insurance industry. To my opinion, they have one of the best products. The problem with their product is they follow the lines of what the legacy systems allow them to do so well. They're so ethical. They're so great. They put me in a weird spot when I see these other apps that do what my customers want, but yet. Right. So that is where I'm stuck, dude. So yep. To answer your question, I don't want to talk specifically about that app, but there's only really other one other one out there that's a main one out there. And um, I think those guys are really, really good guys. I also want to let you know that if you happen to find out who these people are, I do not want to use their name. 
I will tell you, they actually have permission from every company they do business with mm -hmm. to be able to do whatever type of RPA automation they do. Okay. So they're not going against, they're not going against, um, they, they actually have permission. And I will tell you of the other couple that I found, especially in the Raiders, they don't have permission mm -hmm. and they'll tell you. And if you and if you have, hey, this these guys say they do business with Midwest Mutual out here and the Raider cast. How the hell are they doing that? Well, that's probably your first key. But reach out to me because I have people at a lot of CIOs and CTOs at these carriers that I pick up the phone and say, hey, do you guys even know who these people are? I, that's why I'm not getting on this podcast just talking bull crap. Right. I'm actually talking to the people who are making these decisions and saying, yeah, Cass, they're not doing it, but yeah, we're okay with it. They, we know what they're doing. And what does that mean? That means when the carrier updates their system and it breaks that script, they're notifying that company. If they're doing that and the carrier knows that they're doing that, I feel okay about that. But how does that, how does that affect you as an agency owner if the company one day decides to um, 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 enforce the user agreement? Yeah, exactly. What are you supposed to say? Well, I, my vendor was said that they were working with them, so I thought it was cool. They're going to say, I don't care. We got a contract right here that says that you're not allowed to do that. You can't give out passwords and USD to your own people in your own damn, damn agency. I know we do. But I'm just saying, we're, but, but per user agreement, we're not supposed to do that, you know? Okay. Wow, that one went long. Yeah. That one went long. No worries, no worries. That was good stuff. It is. It is. It's very good stuff. Um, and I think that that company, and I'm going to push you to do this, the uh, uh, a next series for you, Indie Tech, um, for you to kind of highlight these uh, some of these companies. So, all right, let's move on. Final chapter of this episode, chapter eight, payments keep your customers. And this is a good one to end on. So you start off. The chapter provides some examples on how other businesses can offer what I'll call like an upcharge when you're purchasing something. So you talk about supersizing your food, replacing an air filter one year uh, during an oil change, making a donation to a local charity. So these are all great examples, but I want to challenge you on this. How does this apply to an insurance agency? Maybe I'm just not getting it, but I read that and I thought to myself, I get what you're saying, but how do you apply this to an insurance agency when we can't add on things to, to payment? So what was, what was the thinking behind, uh, coming up with those examples, starting this chapter off that way? Yeah. So, so it kind of had to do with, with making payments and, and obviously that's, that's what the chapter's about. Right. And I, I have to just be completely honest as I always am with my listeners. I'm not exactly sure. Okay. And the reason almost every payment you make comes with an additional offer is because it works. People make, oh, I know what this is. Okay. So basically what I was saying is, is you're going to use payments as a way to cross sell people. Gotcha. Okay. That's all that we're saying. It's coming with extra, extra additives because if you, if everybody else does that, right? Yeah. Amazon does that. They even say to you, oh, you bought this. Guess what? Here's some other things people are looking at, right? Right. I think that there's a good way that you can cross sell when everything is in the mobile app. I've said this before. I believe, I don't know how it's long, but it's going to happen. Everything you need to get a qualified quote is in and stored inside of your cell phone. So how would you like it if you got your cell phone bill or not your cell phone bill, your insurance, your insurance um, bill and you, you thought to yourself, um, oh, well, I'm going to, oh, my bill's $100. 
and you could say, here, click here, mm -hmm. and we'll get you an instant quote in three seconds. And you click there, and it pulls all the personal information out of your old app and all cross-references, a thousand data points across the world, and boom, here's what your insurance is. And then how crazy is it if we actually start to make insurance traded on a stock exchange that we talked about back with Neon back right. a couple podcasts ago to where actually that rate would change every day? Hmm. That would be interesting. That would that be. will happen. I just don't know if I'm alive to see that. That is interesting. So that's what I was thinking about supersizing. Yeah. Um, one thing that, and I'd like to hear from the loyal listeners. So send Jason an email or comment on a post um, when it goes out on social. Is anyone using a marketing technique to where you prov you sell a policy to someone? Let's say. It's a uh, it's a bop and you sell, a uh, you know, a bop to a, a plumbing contractor. And after you sell it, you say you send them an email or some sort of communication, say, you know, customers or people just like you, they also purchase workers compensation policies or for home and auto. If you have a, a young couple that just bought their first, you know, home, you wrote an auto and home, and then you send them something that says, hey, people just like you, not only do they add an umbrella policy, but they get a life insurance policy. So I would be curious to know, are any loyal listeners, are you doing anything like that? Or did we just stumble upon um, the, you know, the, the thing of right now? So we, we should be. Yeah. I mean, dude, just so well put yeah. because people who normally do that and a great time that Billy Williams says it at a, when does he sell? When does Ben Billy Williams sell or send out life insurance whenever he first writes the policy and claims when a claim occurs? That's right. Because see, Billy Williams, a mastermind member and Josh knows this because we because we listen to him. He, he seems to be very smart now it claims because that's an emotional time. What a great way to say that. What you just said, Josh, yeah. I never have thought about no. that. Okay, usually at claim time, something that majority of the people inqu inquire about is life insurance, because this is usually a pretty scary time. Is it OK if I would send that to you and you review that? I mean, dude, yeah. That's freaking great. That's doing what Amazon does, exactly. right? They also bought this. And here's to go back to this. That's where we were going with it based on the fact that statistics show that the customers will stay with an agency of average of eight years. Mm -hmm. During that time, you will sell one pol or a policy once. It will renew seven times. Endorsements will happen four times. And on average, you'll see about two claims. Do you know that you have payment transactions that will take place? During those same eight years that you have the client, you will have 80 payment transactions, making it your single highest and most valuable customer service interaction. I think that Erie read that to the extreme. Yeah, they did. <laughs> because Erie, just for you guys to know, Erie wants us completely in interactions with our customers all the time mm -hmm. because that's how you service them. That's how you cross sell them. It, it all makes sense. I get it. Yeah. But they are like radical about it. And that is the reason why yep. it, it, it allows me to have the opportunity to upsell them. B Billy Williams says this all the time. We like all the stuff to come in on the phone because then I'm talking to people. I can sell them something. If you're not selling them something, you're talking to a lot of people and you ain't making money Yep. and you want that to be automated. But if you're going to be a, 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 a forward thinking, so, 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 so let's stop for a minute. Let's, let's talk about this. Okay. This is so important. And I came up with this after the book of why the customer experience is so important. And the customer experience comes back down to this fact right here. It comes down to proactive interior sales. 
There's two ways we can sell. We can go and we can train producers who don't really know anything about insurance or an industry. We can set them all out there and they go through a hundred people and they talk to a bunch and they get in front of 30% of them and they sell 10% of those. And that's just the way that it goes. Okay. So there's a lot of expense and in that. All right. Now, not very high closing ratio either. All right. Or we can have people stay inside of our office. And whenever we have transactions like that, we just discussed, now we can cross sell those people. What happens is, is we are now building the fabric inside of our agency and strengthening it. And when you strengthen that fabric, what people do is they go tell other people about how great the Lipstone agency is. So now, Josh did nothing but cross-sell a policy, make more money. The same person that is buying from him, not a producer that you're paying or training, is going out there and finding business for you and bringing them back in. And that has a 80% closing ratio versus the 20 to 30%. So proactive interior sales are going to build a customer experience that's going to be more efficient and more profitable every damn time. Wow. So loyal listeners, this to me is the reason that we're doing this podcast because we can get these insights from people that weren't in the book, whether it's the author or someone else. So you're, you're taking the chapter that to me wasn't as important um, and making it a much more important chapter. Thank you. Very, like I said, I came up with that after the book. Exactly. No one would know that. Um, Okay, well, great. Um, let's talk a little bit um, about these companies that we can actually use to help us process payments. So it's not going directly to through the insurance company. Now, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. Companies like ePay Policy, which is also a sponsor um, of the Mastermind, um, 100%. talked about um, simply easier payments in the book. Mm-hmm. Are these are these companies useful to agencies who do a lot of direct bill, or is it for those who do a lot of agency build? I to me, I thought it was more for agency build um, because that's how my brain thought. But tell me if I'm wrong in that thinking. No, you're not wrong in that thinking. I think I think that's right. I do know personal agencies that have done it. It's uh, built on uh, what is it called? It's, it has to do with I do know people that this is how they take payments online. Okay. And one of the scary parts is is that well, what if their payment has lapsed? You know, there's way that people have put on there that hey, you know, you we cannot accept your payment if it's after the effect or due date or whatever. Right. But if it's before this the due date or before, put your information in here. We take it simply. Easier payments pays uh, charges the fee to them. It then gets deposited into your trust fund with a notification that comes to you and says, hey, so-and-so made their payment. The next day they come through. It's So it's conditional. Man. It's based on the condition that you have your policy uh, in force. Um, I think there are those. You'll see simply easier payments, simply accord form, simple uh, certificates insurance. Obviously, you guys can realize that Duke Williams, who owns all this Simply stuff, um, is a very, very good friend of mine. I met, I met him through Steve Anderson. The reason he's in the book is we didn't have ePay policy then. Right. We didn't have people doing automatic certificates because we didn't have VAs that we were using actively then. So that was the reason for Duke and all his stuff. The reason why I believe is that companies started niching in that. I believe ePay policy does a really good freaking job. They really, really truly 
truly do. And they're also an independent agent company, which means they're willing to share data with us. They will, no people don't realize that they will share any data with you other than confidential information, how your customer's making the payment, when they make the payment, how they make the payment, um, the, all that kind of stuff. So that make you, makes your agency get smarter. Um, but yes, I think that people should still use that, but I don't specifically use those ones anymore. They are still around and Duke Williams and his staff are good people. So this brings us to the end of section one of the book. Jason, is there anything you want to remind the loyal listeners about in section one in preparation for us talking about section two in the upcoming podcast? Yes. So no, not, not much okay. other than I hope they understand the basis of what this was. That was one big chunk there. And if you notice, we were talking about some practical things, but we were in the clouds a lot. You know, Gary V says in the clouds or in the dirt. I love that, that he says that he gets on my nerves with the same shit all the time, but I, I do love that. Uh, now the, the section two though, it goes into, um, one of my most proud parts of the book and it has to do with the, the infograph that we created. I like to make things simple. And that's where we're going because this is actually the meat of the book is where we go in section two to all you loyal listeners. This is where we go from qualifying to lead gen to converting leads, closing the sale, onboarding and servicing, cross-selling and, and referrals. Everything we just discussed though was kind of like the non-negotiables in a way, right? Like this is just stuff you need. You can't tell me you don't have customers that make payments. Right. You don't have, you can't tell me you don't have people that don't have mobile apps. You can't tell me you can't run it. You can run an agency with an out an AMS system. All this stuff is vital to know. And these were the tools and the ideas for us to catapult into the rest of this. And I'm excited um, because it may be more technical and more detailed, but to be honest with you, everybody likes to talk in the clouds. This reason for this podcast is because you're going to talk about things that are in the dirt. And I appreciate that. This has been really good, Josh. To give you a sneak peek of what's to come, we'll be covering the qualifying process, lead generation, converting leads, quoting and closing the sale, onboarding and servicing, and cross-selling and referrals. And I'll end with a quote that begins section two, which is from Bob Rusbolt, who's the president and CEO of the Independent Insurance Agents and Brokers of America. Agents can successfully counter the emerging perception of insurance as a commodity by going opposite with their marketing strategy and fully embracing a local relationship-based strategy, leveraging technology. So with that, I want to say thank you to Jason for joining me on Explain This Book to Me and for you, the loyal listeners, being here today. Remember to be safe, be healthy, and love everyone. This has been Josh Lipstone with Explain This Book to Me.